Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Before we go to today's message, we want to invite you to check out our website, www.harvestagokc.com. Again, that's harvestagokc.com. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. Well, has everybody had a good week? It's been a... uh... I mean, hey, right, wrong, or indifferent, whether it was your guy or not your lady, on Tuesday, you know, either way, we still have one king, and his name is Jesus, amen? And, uh, yeah, we can clap that in. So as we, as we just move forward, let's together, as the church, remember that all authority is given by God, and we're going to pray for that authority. And so whether we're going to, um, whether, whether Again, whether it was our person or not, pray for them as, as much as you fuss about them. And if you'll make that your goal every day, I promise one of two things is going to happen. You're going to pray a whole lot more or we're going to quit talking entirely, right? Because <laughs> it is the season, amen? Hey, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to uh, turn to Matthew chapter 2. I'd like for you to stick a marker in Matthew 95. We'll be there in just a little bit, but those are the two passages we'll turn to today. Last week, I shared a message with you entitled uh, about worship and why it's important to worship. Today, I want to follow that up with a message entitled Expressions, why it's important to express our worship to God. And talking about the various expressions that are there, um, what the Bible says about them. And so that's, that's where we're headed today. I do want to just say, Fran, it's good to see you, Francis Waters. Welcome back. I know it's been a few weeks. It's been trying. Yeah, we can give her a hand. She's, she's had a tough road, and so just want you to know we love you. We've been praying for you, and we're glad you're home. So today we're going um, to talk about worship and expressing our worship to God. How many of you, just take a quick poll, how many of you are married? Just raise your hands if you're married. Some of you are like, I'm not really sure. That's a whole nother discussion for later. You can call this week and get counseling. That's a different story. So those of you, that, if you raised your hand, you were married. I got a question for you. Is it okay with you if your spouse never expresses their love for you? No? I mean, like, this is one of those times it's okay to, res- to respond in church. It's, they're not going to, you know, they, they, you should be on the same page, but... How many of you, it's, it's not okay for them to not express their, worship, their love for you, right? It's not. Well, in the same way, we're the bride of Christ, right? Well, that's what the Bible says. We are the bride of Christ. It's, it's probably not okay for us to not express our love for the Lord. It's not okay for us to not tell him and to express how much we love him and to show that in a way that means. Because worship is love expressed. If you want to define that, worship is love expressed. That's what it is. It's us expressing our love for God, not only because of who he is, but because we love him, because he is our bride, because one day he's going to come back for us, the bride. The bridegroom is coming to call us home and to redeem us, and he's looking for a pure and spotless bride is what scripture says. So we've got to stay after that. We've got to be adamant that we are going to maintain that, but we've got to express our love for him. Now, we worship the way we do, um, where we, we have expressive worship. I've been in churches where that wasn't the case. In fact, I remember growing up, um, the, the, in, in Clinton, the Baptist preacher, his name was James Robinson, um, not, not that James Robinson, okay. D- different fellow altogether, 
Um, his his um, youngest daughter was a year older than I, so she we grew up together in school. And I remember when when her her dad, who played the guitar, started bringing his guitar and just playing the guitar during the worship service at the Baptist church. And then there there were people that would start to lift their hands. And I remember my my buddy Mickey. He went to the Baptist church, and I remember him telling me that I, there was like almost a coup in the church because that just wasn't what we did. At their, you didn't, no, uh-uh. Pastor, you don't play that guitar because that's why we have a piano and an organ. Was, mm. Next thing you know, it's going to be ACDC in here. We're not having any of that. All because of an acoustic guitar that he played sitting on the front row as worship went on. Not every church is, you know, expresses themselves. We, we believe in expressive worship. We believe that the Lord does work in our emotions, not that he has to. We shouldn't be led by our emotions. That's a different story altogether. But we, we believe that expressing that in, in, is, is an important part of what we do. And the way we worship it has nothing to do with Pentecostal or charismatic dogma. Okay? It has everything to do with scriptural doctrine. Now, let me explain those in case you may not know what they are. Dogma uh, is an established understanding. Okay? It's an established opinion. I'm sorry. Established opinion. It's kind of the old saying of if you tell a lie long enough, it be, people start to believe it as though it were the truth, okay? It's a person's opinion, but it's been established for a long time. Uh, doctrine is something entirely different. Doctrine is established teaching that's based on Scripture. So when we talk about the difference between dog, dogma and doctrine, those, that's the difference. And you're going to hear that terminology quite a bit in today's message. So I want to lay that out there and get the foundation right. Because when we're talking about dogma, where this is the way we've always done, it's the established opinion of what you should do. We're going to talk about the scripture of this is what the Bible says. The Bible says this, and we're going to live by that. And the way that we worship, expressive. You know, the thing is, last week I talked about we want to enter into worship and we looked at the story of Moses and how we have to look and we have to listen and we have to learn. If we're really going to get what God wants for us and what he has for us and, and establish that relationship, we've got to enter in. Well, in the same way, it, while we're entering in, it doesn't matter if you're standing or you're seated. It doesn't matter if you are the most wildly expressive, outlandish person that there is or you're quietly reserved. The, what matters is that we express our love for God as we enter into his presence. That's what works. So we lift our hands, not out of tradition, but because the scripture teaches that we should. In fact, if you look in Matthew chapter 2, and this is where you, you turn to, verse number 11 says this. It says, entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented them to him. Now, obviously, this is the Christmas story. This is the wise men coming to see Jesus. And they come in and they, what does it say they do? They fall to their knees and worship. They fall to their knees and worship. Now, was it appropriate for uh, these wise, wealthy, grown men to fall on their knees in the presence of a toddler? Was that appropriate? We would say yes, right? Obviously, that would be okay because this was Jesus, the son of the most high God, who would become the savior of the world. So if it's okay for these grown, wise, wealthy men to fall on their knees and worship the savior of the world, it's probably okay for us to bow down and to fall on our knees in the presence of our savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen? So it's part of it. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look through, uh, we're going to look at six different um, biblical expressions of worship. Now, I know you're saying, now, preacher, normally you have three points, and we're doing good to beat the Baptist to lunch, and you got six today? 
We're going to go fast. <laughs> All right? We're going to move quickly. So number one, the first one we look at is clapping. The Bible says to clap. We should clap our hands, right? There are two reasons the Bible says that we should clap. Not because it's a fast song. That's not one of them. And the Bible doesn't say don't clap because it's a slow song. doesn't say that at all. The Bible gives us two reasons for why we do clap, though. Number one is for victory. We clap for victory. When we're applauding and cheering, we do that. In fact, in Job chapter 27, verse 23, in the ESV, it says, it says to clap its hands at him and hisses him away from its place. It's talking about the wicked man there. It says that when we clap our hands at him, it hisses him away. Now, it's kind of the idea. You clap for victory, right? And it makes him go away. For instance... Um, I, I can remember a few times when Pastor Mike and I, when uh, years ago, we'd be playing golf at an early wine golf course. Now, early wine golf courses, um, it's known for a couple of things. Number one, if you play the north course, it's a public city course, you play the north course, it's forever in a day. It is the slowest playing golf course I've ever been on in my life. It takes, it's supposed to take you four hours to play a round of golf. It was at least five hours, five and a half, because of one of the little old groups of men that started very early and they just slowed everything down, backed everything up all day. So it's one of the things it's known for. The second thing it was known for is you had to watch the goose droppings because the geese were all over that golf course. They were everywhere. So there were times that you'd have this, you know, a, a gaggle of geese, it's literally what it's called, but you have a gaggle of geese, right? And you'd have to walk up to them and you go away, go, go. You'd clap your hands to make them go away. It's kind of like some of you did back at Halloween when the kids were on your porch. Okay, go away. Hey, get their attention and tell them to shoot, right? When the Bible says to hiss the, the wicked man away, that's what it's saying. Clap your hands at him and hiss at him to go away. It's the same idea. Shoot, go away. So when we applaud in victory, our applause hisses the devil away. That's good news, right? It's kind of like when, when, when the, the, the team wins the football game, you know, Friday night lights, you know, it's playoff season in Oklahoma for, for high school football. Man, when our team wins, what do we do? We clap as our boys cheer and the other team heads for the locker room. That's what we do. We cheer. And so we clap. That's part of the expression that goes on there. We clap our hands in victory and it drives the devil away. Now, also, it says in Nahum 3.19, it says, there's no easing your hurt, your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you for upon you, upon whom has not come your unceasing evil. So it's talking about the king of Assyria. It says they're clapping in applause because his, he's going to die. They've won the victory. They're happy and they clap their hands. So we clap our hands because we've won the victory. Every time we come together and worship, we can applaud the Lord. Why? He's won the victory, amen? We sit in a position of victory. We live spiritually in a posture of victory and we can bring that to the Lord we can clap and it hisses the devil away because we have the victory also in this uh this verse in Nahum one of the things that was tradition back in the in the Old Testament times whenever a city would go out a nation would go out to battle and they would come back victorious as they're 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 bringing in all of the spoils of war they would bring their captives in with them and the people would stand and applaud as they were brought in why not because, yeah, you're coming to us, but <laughs> we won and you lost, sucker. They gloated over them. You know, in, in Micah chapter 7, verse 8, it says, Do not gloat over me, my enemy, for though I have fallen, I will rise again. The devil does this to us all the time. We don't have a problem with the idea of that. But when we start to think about, well, I shouldn't gloat, be proud that the Lord has won. If we're going to take pride, let's take pride in the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ that has rescued us from a life of sin, and we can applaud because we are victorious, amen? 
So be proud of that. Let's applaud a victory. The other reason that they clapped their hands was for joy. Psalm 98.8 says, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains shout together for joy. Clap your hands because the mountains shout together for joy. Also, in Isaiah 55.12, it says, you will indeed go out with joy and be peacefully guided. The mountains and the hills will break into singing before you, and all of the trees of the field will clap their hands. Why? Because as you go out in peace and you're led forth in joy, man, the, when you're on God's track, you're in joy. There's a joy that goes with that, and you pl- applaud. You clap. It's okay to be happy and clap. Man, Jesus won. I have the victory, and I'm happy about it. That's perfectly fine. That's why we clap our hands. Now, the second reason, uh, the second expression of worship is this, shouting. So not only do we clap, we clap, we like clapping, but we shout. Now, some of you like to shout more than others. Some of you haven't shouted since your kids left home. But 90, uh, Psalm 47.1 says this, to clap your hands, all you people, shout to God with a jubilant cry. Shout to God with a jubilant cry. Be happy and shout for joy. In Galatians 4.27, it says, for it is written, rejoice, childless woman. Who does not give birth? Burst into song and shout. You who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate are many and more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Here, what's it say? It says to shout, you childless, you barren woman. Here's the thing. Worship is an act of faith. Right? Do we agree to that? Worship is an act of faith. We shout before we get the victory. We shout and declare our victory even when we haven't seen it. Think about the children of Israel when they get to Jericho, right? They get to Jericho and the Lord says they're crossing over into the promised land. And the Lord says, look, see the city of Jericho? I have given it into your hands. It is so tightly shut up that nobody's going in or out. But look, I've given it to you. And what did they do? They walked around it. And on the seventh day, the seventh time, they shouted and the victory came. They shouted before they ever had victory. Now, sometimes what we want is this. We want to say, oh, no, Lord, if you'll provide, if you'll make it happen, uh, our, our established opinion, our dogma says this, that I'll shout when I see God move. I'm not going to be joyous. I'm not going to shout for victory until I've got the victory. But the Bible doesn't say to do that. In fact, God says this, if you'll shout, I'll move. If you'll do your part, I'll do my part. James 4, 7. I know people say, well, that's an Old Testament principle. Right, right, right. James 4, 7 says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. It doesn't say it the other way around. It says that when we put our first step forward, God comes running our way. It's a New Testament scripture enforcing an Old Testament principle. When we do our part, it puts God in a position to do his part. We talk about it from the area of finances. You know what? When we trust God and we obey with tithe, what happens? The Bible says that when we do that, he opens the floodgates of heaven and will pour out a blessing more than we're able to withstand. We've got to put our foot forward to open God's blessing in his hand. We've got to take the first step. Let me give you five reasons. There's many, many reasons, but let me give you the top five reasons you should worship God whether you feel like it or not. Good top five list. Now, if I were David Letterman, it would be a top ten, but we're going with the top five. Number five, we worship by faith. That's great. We worship by faith. Number four, feelings should not dictate our actions. Principles should. It's easy to say, well, I'll pray, I'll tithe, I'll worship when I feel like it. No, no, no. We should worship, we should pray, we should tithe whether we feel like it or not. Amen? We've got, to, we've got to put that in there. We've got to do our part. We're worshiping whether we feel like it or not. Number three, praise is a command. 
Every time in the Bible when it says that we're to praise the Lord, it's in the imperative. In other words, it's a directive. It's a command. This is what we do. We praise the Lord, whether we feel like it or not. You know, in the army, um, uh, in fact, one of, my, one of my favorite TV shows is called The West Wing. It's all about government and the president and the White House and all that. Um, we have every season on, on DVD. And it's on Netflix right now, so it kind of just stays constantly streaming in our home. Because we just like it. It's, we identify with the characters. When you see these characters in other movies it's like or shows... It's like, do what? That's not what Toby says. Oh, it's, right, it's not the West Wing. It's not the way they respond. But there's this episode in there where the, the um, Joint Chief of Staff, his name's Percy Fitzwallace, he walks into the room, and these enlisted officers stand up, and they come to attention. And one of the other characters is saying, guys, you, it's, it's okay. He asks you a question, and finally he looks at him and says, they're not going to speak. They're not going to say anything. They're pretty well trained. They're going to do what they're supposed to do, whether they would like to or not. In the same way, we've been given this command to worship the Lord, to praise him. It wasn't a choice. It's what we do, whether we feel like it or not. We worship him, amen? And in that comes victory. In that comes power. In that comes all of those beautiful things. But it's a command. So that's the number three reason. Number two, it's being true to who you really are. When we worship, we're being true to who we really are. Now, some people say, well, when things are going well with my life and I go to, I'm sorry, when things are not going well with my life and I go to church to worship, I would be being a hypocrite. Well, that's not really true. See, if worship is who we are, then to not worship is being a hypocrite. Being a hypocrite is to act like something that you are not. Well, to not worship would be the hypocritical part of it. Why? Because we were created to worship. So when we worship, we've got to give it all we've got, whether we feel like it or not. It's being true to who we really are. And the number one reason that we should worship, whether we feel like it or not, is because he's worthy. He's worthy. At the end of the day, if you can't get through uh, uh, numbers two through five, that's fine. But at the end of the day, number one should be more than enough. He's worthy, whether I feel like it or not. And the Bible says that if we won't do it, then rocks will cry out in our place. I'm sorry, but I don't need a rock singing better than I do. I don't need a rock to lift up its voice louder than I can. I don't need a rock to do the job I was created. An inanimate object worships the Lord better than some people who attend church these days. It's our job to worship him because he is worthy. It's our job. It's our duty. The most beautiful part of it is, this is what the devil was created to do, was to lead worship in heaven. In him were built. The Bible says in Ezekiel that he was built with all of these instrumentation built inside of him. And we could go through the whole thing of, of how our bodies were created in the same way to accomplish this. We don't have pipes. Well, some people have pipes, but that's a different story. Some people can sing, you know what I'm saying? Like they, have, they can do it. Other people, not so much, right? But we can all do our part. Here's the thing. The devil was created to be the worship leader in heaven. You know what we did? When God created us, we stole his job. We took his job. He, Jesus, God in heaven, is worthy of our praise. The devil was supposed to, but now we get to. It's our job to worship him. We were created for that relationship, to enter in, to listen and to learn and to, 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 to love what God is doing and to experience him. We've got to take the opportunity to do that. So we clap and we shout. And thirdly, we sing. We sing. We like singing, right? You know, my, my buddies growing up, one of my, my best friends in high school, his dad was the minister at the Church of Christ. And uh, Jeffrey and I, we had a lot of these discussions about, you know, uh, instrumentation in church and not. And, and 
right, wrong, and indifferent and why they believe the way they do and they don't. But man, I tell you what, anytime you got together with people that were involved in the Church of Christ, the level of singing that they brought to the table was amazing. Uh, they learn all the parts and they sing so wonderfully and it's amazing how they can sing without instrumentation and still stay on key. I can sing with all the instrumentation you can give me and autocorrect still can't get me on key, you know what I'm saying? It's just this, they sing so well, but singing is a part of our worship to God. In Psalm 95.1, it says, come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. So we're asking you to turn, Psalm 95. Verse 1, shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. We sing to the Lord, as other translations say. In Psalm 96.1, just a chapter over, it says, sing a new song to the Lord. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing a new song. This is what I do all the time, and it drives Rachel absolutely crazy. I'll sing a new song because I rewrote the lyrics because I couldn't remember the real lyrics to begin with, <laughs> right? So th there's, there's like maybe three or four songs in my life I can ever remember the lyrics to, and even then, I'm going to mess them up. A at night when I'm uh, putting Hayes to bed, he, you know, he's old enough, he's starting to talk and uh, let me know what he would like, and it's great. He's at that stage now, he can talk some, but it's not all the time, so it's not just constant, Right? Like, it's great. You can say, Hayes, how's your pants? I'm fine, Daddy. Okay, he doesn't need a new diaper. Great. You kind of go, Hayes, are you poopy? Yeah. Are you done? <laughs> really important question to ask with him. Are you done? No. Well, wait. Are you done? I done. You ready to change your pants? Yep. And he heads on to his room. Great, right? Yay, praise the Lord. But when I'm putting him to bed at night, it's time to go night-night. You know, he doesn't like to go night-night. He wants, he wants to stay and snuggle. I snuggle out there in the chair. I snuggle in the chair, Daddy. It's his way of trying to get out of going to bed. At first, that would work because we'd say, no, no, you got to go to bed. Because he, he didn't really want to snuggle with his mama. I said, well, you can snuggle with mama. Okay, I snuggle mama. Well, now he's past that, and he's like, no, no, I snuggle daddy. Sorry, dude, time to go to bed. Sing a lullaby, a lullaby. I'm like, bro, do you know what you're asking of me, you know? And so we do, you know, I, I sing him a lullaby. It kind of sounds like a cow wailing or something like that. But anyway, we do, right? And, uh, you know, with, with Kate and Cecily, it was the, the song I always sang to them was Say the Name. Say the Name of Jesus. I just... It stuck in my head. It kind of fit with the lullaby. I could remember the lyrics for the most part. It worked, right? Rachel sings them like real lullabies. Hayes, he didn't want to hear her say the name. I started singing that the other day because I could remember. I couldn't remember the lyrics to the other one. And he kind of sits up. He's got his head on my shoulder. And he sits up, puts his hand on my mouth and says, no, lullaby. Okay. Open the door. Hey, Rachel, what are the lyrics to the lullaby? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, thanks. So I'll sing it as much as I can remember. It may be one line, it may be five. All right, time to go night-night, right? And you lay them down. Every time the lyrics are different because I can't remember them. So that's why the Bible says sing a new song. You know what? It's not about the lyrics. That's the beautiful part. Take a song that you know and sing the song that's in your heart. 
Let that out. It doesn't matter if anybody else knows it. It doesn't matter if it fits. It doesn't matter if it's to the latest church song or not. There have been plenty of times that some other song has stuck in my head, and you change the lyrics to a gospel message, and all of a sudden it ushers us into the presence of God. Sing the song that's in your heart. Worship the Lord with singing. Numbers 21, 16, and 17 says this. It says, from, where they, from there they went to Beer. It's pronounced Beer. Some of you are going to go, yep, the Bible says there's a well called Beer. No, no. It's French, Beer. It's a joke there, sorry. From there they went to Beer, the well that the Lord told Moses about. And he said, to gather, uh, gather the people so I may give them water. Then Israel sang this song, spring up, well, sing to it. Now here's the thing. God told Moses to gather them all around. And the, the first that we didn't read, it says this. Uh, it says that this was a dry well. Gather them together and sing to it, spring up, O well. And give to me. Spring up, O oh well. Sing to it. See, here's the idea. You gather around this dry well. How many of you are going maybe through a dry spot? Maybe it's a barren season. It doesn't feel like anything's really coming to fruition in your life. It seems like it doesn't matter. It's not working out. Well, the Bible says to sing to that dry well. Sing over that barren space. Spring up, O oh well. To call it forth in a song and say, spring up, O oh well. And give to me life and life eternally. Spring up, O oh well. You know, in Galatians, we talked about the barren woman. Spring up, O oh well. You may be in a desolate place. Spring up up, oh well. You may feel like your spirit man is dry. Sing over that place. Spring up, oh well. Maybe you need to sing a song over your business. Maybe you need to sing a song over your job search. Maybe you need to sing a song over what's happening in relationships in your life. Maybe you need to sing a song over your finances, your family, your employment situation, relationships. Sing a song and declare, spring up, oh well. We've got to stop trying to skirt these principles that are found in the Bible using our reason and our logic. See, it's reasonable to think, well, when my business does better, then I'll sing to the Lord for his goodness. But the biblical principle all throughout is that we sing to the Lord because he is good, and then things will flourish. Even when Jesus was on the cross and they were telling him, what did they tell him? Come down and we'll believe that you're the son of God. And the whole time Jesus is saying, I've been here the whole time. Believe and then you will see. That's the biblical principle that's there. In fact, in 2 Chronicles, it's the story of where God's telling them the, the, the Israelites are going to war. They get to the place where they're going to war, and all of the nations are gathered around them. There's multiple nations that have come against them, and David is kind of freaking out a little bit. Uh, as if you read the Psalms, you'll realize that's David. He kind of freaked out a little, right? I mean, how many times did David sound like he was about to just, uh, I can't take any more? I mean, I have never read more verses in the Bible where it seemed like a man was more psychotic and maybe a little bit suicidal than reading David's Psalms. There are times that he is just, I mean, all over the place, bipolar it seems like almost. But here's the thing, David knew, I need to inquire of the Lord. I tell him my feelings and God will intervene. So in this story in 2 Chronicles, David goes, he inquires of the Lord, Lord, what should we do? What, what are we supposed to do here? And what does God say? Send out the singers first. Send out the singers. I don't know how the choir felt about that. 
hey guys, grab your choir books and head to the front of the line without a shield, without a sword. Guess what? You're going to lead us into battle. I bet they probably went, do what? I'm going to do, no, no. You better go inquire of the Lord again, preacher. Listen, kid, you may be the king, but he's God. You weren't listening right. Go back and ask again. No, this is what the Lord said. So what they do, it says, hey, the singers led them into battle. And in fact, the Bible says in the story that as they got there and they're worshiping the Lord, that God sent down a spirit of confusion over the enemy and they turned against one another and began to kill each other. Here's the beautiful part. You know what? As we worship the Lord, even in our desperate, desolate, barren place, God can send a spirit of confusion against the enemy and they can take care of themselves so that all we have to do is pick up the spoils of war. Amen? Amen? As we sing, something begins to happen. Something begins to change. So whether or not you sing in this choir, we're all a part of the heavenly choir, and we need to declare our, our song of praise to the Lord when we go into battle. Here's the thing. I'm not trying to get you to be as expressive as someone else. This is not about... Uh, seeing if, if our response to the Lord measures up with others. has nothing to do with that. But what I am trying to do is get you to be expressive to the Lord in what God has given you. And here's the thing. I, you know, maybe you say, well, I'm a preacher, I'm just not a very expressive person. Okay, great. This next Saturday, whoever your football team is, you come on over to the house, and we'll find out whether or not you're expressive or not. See, I, I've seen some of you. I've, I've observed how, you know, if the thunder wind, we're all, woohoo, when Kevin Durant leaves, we're like, ooh, Russell's staying, yay, woo, you know, we're happy and we're cheerful and we're expressive. When the Cowboys win that nail biter because the kicker misses the field goal, the point after yesterday, I felt so bad for you and Brenda and your family, Pat, because. I, I thought for sure y'all were all having a heart attack right there, you know. And then when he missed it, I thought, yes, they're going to win. They're not going to die. They're going to win, right? When, when OU's winning, whoa, I've been there in the stadium. And man, what happens when they win? Whoa, everybody gets expressive. So the idea that we're not expressive people just doesn't hold water. Some of you on, on Wednesday morning, about 4 o'clock in the morning, you were so expressive because your guy won. Or you were so expressive because your girl lost. We get, we're expressive people, so that doesn't really hold water. And we're just not expressive. I've, I've seen you clap and shout. And I know some of you say, but, but Pastor, I'm worshiping the Lord in my heart. Well, that's wonderful. Praise the Lord for that. Here's the thing. The Bible says we are made up of three parts, right? Body, soul, and spirit. And theologians believe that our spirit is represented in our hearts. Worship the Lord in your heart. That's good. But your body and your soul could use a little expression unto the Lord. It's important that we get that in there and that we're involved and that we're, we're not just worshiping the Lord with the spirit man, but our soul, our emotions need a little attending to so that we worship the Lord and whether we feel like it or not. Our, our, our physical man needs to know that we are submitted to the Lord. That way when sin comes knocking at our door, comes creeping close, we'll know that there is a greater one than that sin that's come knocking at our door. We need to worship the Lord and be expressive of that in clapping and shouting and singing. We also need to be okay with bowing and kneeling. 
And that's the fourth one, bowing and kneeling. Psalm 95, 6 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Now, bowing and kneeling, two separate words. I want to just uh, dissect for a moment. Bowing means submission, whether it's willingly or unwillingly. See, there's going to come a day, scripturally speaking, that every knee is going to bow before the Lord. Every atheist, every Muslim, every Buddhist, everyone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ will bow. Whether they want to or not, they're going to bow. It doesn't matter. They're going to. It's going to happen. We can choose to bow because we have a relationship with God. So we choose to bow. It's what the wise men did in Matthew 2 that we already looked at. It's what Satan wanted Jesus to do. Satan wanted Jesus to bow. Satan wanted him to worship him. In fact, in Matthew 4, 9, it says that, that he said to him, Satan said to Jesus, I will give you all of these things if you will, what? Fall down and worship me. See, it wasn't enough for the devil, for Jesus just to worship him. He had to have him express that worship. We need to express that worship. It's not enough. Even Satan knows true worship must be expressed. And so we submit and we surrender and we bow down to the Lord. Then we can kneel. It's bowing or kneeing. Bowing is out of submission. Kneeling is honor or adoration. Now, most of the times, culturally, it's what happens that, that when you... When, when a, a groom is going to propose to his soon-to-be bride, he kneels to do it, right? That makes sense. You get on a knee, and you, you take her by hand. When Rachel and I got engaged, um, it was uh, August the 28th. It was a Wednesday night. It was in the middle of youth service at Crossroads. There's a couple of hundred of our best friends there in, in the, that, that moment, that night. She had no clue, completely caught her off guard. Um, I had asked her. We'd been dating for, for a while, and I had asked her to sing for the very first time. She was going to sing a song in the youth service. So she gets, again, she has no clue. So here's all these friends. Well, hey, what are you guys doing here? Oh, Travis told us that you were singing tonight. We just wanted to come hear you sing. Oh, cool. You know, there's all these people there, right? So, you know, she gets done, and I walk up there, and I grab her hand. I don't let her walk away. And I say, you know, and I start into this spiel with the teenagers about, you know, God will bring you the one. And I, I don't remember it all because that wasn't really important. What mattered was that I turned. I reached into my cargo pant pocket because cargo pants were cool then. So you reached in there and got that ring out, and I got on one knee, and I, I, I proposed. And, and the place went nuts, and nobody could hear her say yes. And so some of the teenagers are saying, say yes. They're screaming, right? And so she's going, yes, I already said yes. Come on, put it on there, baby. Let's go. We, we kneel to honor, right? We, we take a knee, and we kneel before them to honor them. Now, I heard one preacher telling a, a story about this. You know, we, we, we bow in submission and we kneel to honor. It's why that happens. Why do you think grooms or men bow on a knee? And, and a, a lady in the, the audience piped up and said, it's to submit to his wife. That, that's what happens after the marriage takes place. <laughs> we kneel to honor her. So we, we should kneel. We should bow. Come and bow before the Lord and kneel to honor him. That's an expression of worship that we don't do very often, but it's a beautiful expression of worship. So we clap and we shout and we sing and we bow and we kneel. And fifthly, we lift our hands. What does lifting our hands represent? Culturally, when we lift our hands, we, culturally we understand it means I surrender, right? I surrender could mean raise the roof. Depends on the concert text, right? We lift our hands. 
And I have no problem with surrendering. I heard it said about a guy that uh, he said, well, preacher, you know, in, you know, when they, people start lifting, I just, I can't lift my hands in worship. I just can't do that. Well, upon further prodding and poking, poking and provoking, I asked him, so well, what, what would happen if someone came into your, your house at night and you didn't know they were there and they laid a gun on your shoulder and tapped you on the shoulder? What would you do? He said, well, I'd throw my hands up. I don't want them to shoot me. So you're okay with raising your hand and surrender to an enemy, but you're not okay with raising your hands and surrender to the Lord? One ever thought of it that way. That's fine. Now you can. It's okay. Raise your hands. That's surrender. Scripturally, that's, that's not why you raise your hands, though. Scripturally speaking, you raise your hands for a different purpose. We raise our hands scripturally because of, of, of the blessing. We raise our hands because of blessing. And the ones to whom we raise our hands is the one being blessed. So we raise our hands to God because he is blessed and he is blessing us. The one whom we lift our hands to, that's what Psalm 63, 4 says. It says, so I will praise you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. So David said, as long as I live, I'm going to bless the Lord. While I'm alive, I'm going to bless him. I got a question for you. Are you alive? Is anyone in the room dead? I didn't say sleeping. I said dead. If your neighbor's sleeping and acting dead, elbow him. Let's go. We raise our hands because we're, surrend- we, we, we're submitting and we're allowing the Lord to be blessed because we do that. We lift up our hands. Luke 24, 50, it says, So then he, being Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. We want God to bless us, right? If Jesus could lift up his hands to bless us, surely we could lift up our hands and turn to bless him. Amen? So we bless the Lord when we lift our hands up. Psalm 134, 2 says, lift up your hands in the holy place and praise the Lord. It's okay. We, you know, I, it's okay. I get it. Yesterday, many of us in the room lifted up our hands to bless our team. When the Sooners scored, what did we do? Yes! When the Cowboys scored or, or the Texas Tech Red Raider missed that field goal, what did we do? Yes! So, Hey. I'm the one up here preaching. If, I'm, if anybody's making OSU jokes, it'll be this guy, okay? I'm just teasing, Ted. But what do we do? We, we lift up our hands. Why? Because we're thankful that they did what they did. We lift up our hands to bless them. We lift our hands to an excitement. Yes, they did it. I asked you a sec, uh, earlier on, how, how many of you are married? Raise your hand, okay. How, how many of you have kids or grandkids? Raise your hands. How many of you like it when your kids and grandkids come to you? And lift up their hands, right? I love it when, when all of my kids, but Hayes isn't in that phase, right? Kay doesn't come to me and say, Daddy, pick me up. He just jumps up on me and says, catch. <laughs> Lord, son, you ain't as little as you once was, right? Cecily's still big enough. Hey, Daddy, pick me up. But Hayes, he's, again, just now getting his words, right? So what does he do? Or he'll come to me and just like elbow me or shoulder me right in the leg. Uh, okay, you got it. We love that when our kids want. Don't you think God loves it when his children come to him? Hey, I, I need you, Dad. I need you. I, it's okay. He loves that. And we should be okay with that. So one more that I'll expression of worship that I want to talk about. 
This one might be a little bit controversial with our uh, traditional um, conservative backgrounds, but the Bible does say to dance. The Bible talks about dancing. Now, I ain't talking about, you know, cutting a rug. I'm putting it in, you know, context for some of you. I'm not talking about Elvis and his hips. The Bible says to dance before the Lord. In Psalm 149.3, and I'm going to give you uh, three passages here, three verses here. I want to just give them to you. Psalm 149.3, let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and lyre. With tambourines and a guitar and dancing. It's okay. You know, when the music is going, how many of you kind of sway a little bit when the music's going? You're dancing. Now, growing up, now we, we were taught that it was, it was okay. You could do anything you want to, sway and move and bob and weave and anything. As long as your feet didn't move, that wasn't dancing. That was perfectly acceptable in church, right? You can, I mean, you can pretty much do anything. As long as your feet didn't move, you was okay. Your feet started moving, and you were in danger of hellfire. The Bible says to dance, and dancing is okay. It's okay. Dance before the Lord. I'm not talking about getting, never mind. Psalm 150, verse 4 says, Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with flute and strings. It's right there in it. We have no problem with the instrumentation and all that. It's great. Oh, to think about dancing. You want me to do what? Uh -mm. Luke 7, 31 and 32, it says, Jesus was talking here, and I'll give you the explanation of this in a moment. But it says, To what then should I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. Now, in this context, Jesus was talking to the Jewish people of the day, and he's telling them, listen, you missed your day of visitation. You're missing it. We called to you. We played the flute. We did all of that, and you didn't dance. You didn't sing. You didn't rejoice. You didn't do any of that. And we're going to sing a song of lament, and you didn't weep. So in other words, when I arrived, you Jewish people should have been shouting and singing and dancing because the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the one you've been looking for, came and has come to life on this earth, and you didn't do any of that. In a moment, we're going to play a lament, and it's going to be my exit, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to have paid a price for you that you don't even understand yet, and you're not even going to weep then. You're not going to mourn my death at that moment either. You've missed your day entirely. You've missed your moment. You've missed the window. Here's the thing. Let me tell you what the day of visitation is for us. It's while you're alive. David said, while I'm alive, I will bless the Lord. I will worship. I will sing. I will lift up my hands. But what do we do? We miss it. We miss our day of visitation because we won't dance. We won't shout or sing or clap or lift up our hands or kneel and bow before him. We're missing our day of visitation because he is here. The Bible says where two or more are gathered in his name, there he is in their midst. He's here today, right here and right now. I heard recently about a huge Chicago Cubs baseball fan. He was one of the millions that arrived and showed up for the celebration after the Cubs won the World Series, right? So he shows up, he's out there on the streets, but he's a short guy. He's a little bit vertically challenged. He can't really see the parade happening. He tries everywhere. It kind of sounds a little bit like Zacchaeus, right? Not quite. He didn't climb up in a tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Not, not the case. 
Instead, this Cubs fan couldn't find anywhere to be able to see, so he climbs up on a trash can, goes over to the, uh, to, the, to the alleyway, grabs a dumpster, pulls it out, closes the lid, jumps on top of it. He's standing on top of a heap of trash, and he is cheering and shouting and whistling and waving his hands at the players as they go by just to get their attention because they're there. And yet the same thing, if, if it wasn't for the fact that there are the team he's cheering for, wouldn't make any sense, Right? He'd look like a fool. I mean, just imagine you go downtown and up on top of this trash can stands a man dressed in thunder gear and he starts shouting and cheering and whistling and there's nobody else around. We'd kind of look at him and then we'd call the police and have them send, the, the nut, send him to the nut house, right? Obviously, there's something wrong. The presence of the team is what makes it Okay. You and I, similarly, as we worship the Lord, we shouldn't be looking around to see how someone else is expressing themselves because you don't know what they've been saved from or what they've been delivered out of or what they've been forgiven of. We should become a, be more focused on the fact that the king is here than we are what anyone else is doing. See, the presence of the king is what makes everything else okay. The presence of the king is what makes our expression make sense. It's what summarizes it and brings it together so that it is okay. Here's the beauty of it. As we express our worship to God, he is there to inhabit that praise. Don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Don't worry about what everyone else might be saying. Don't worry about any of that. We have the presence of the king right before us. We have the opportunity to enter in. We have the opportunity to learn and to listen and to experience all of his goodness and his power. We have the same thing. So here's my question to you. What are you going to do when the king of glory passes by you? What are we going to do? First of all, let's make sure we don't worry about what others are going to think. Don't worry about that. Sing your little heart out. You feel like shouting, shout to the Lord. You feel like kneeling, kneel before the Lord. You feel overwhelmed to the point of weeping because you're in his presence. Weep. If you feel like, like you need to clap, then applaud the Lord. You may be clapping all alone, but they don't know what victory you just won. Worship the Lord and express that love to him. In just a few moments, we're going to receive communion. So don't, don't slip out yet. In, in, in a few moments, that's what, where, where we're headed. That's how we're going to conclude this morning. But here's the thing. The reason why we can celebrate communion, the reason why we can celebrate the death and the resurrection of our Savior is because he did it. He didn't just die. He rose. He didn't just live. He died and then came back to life. He didn't just be born, but he suffered so he could understand what we go through. And now he's ever making intercession for us. That's why we can celebrate. That's why we can come back to him and why we worship him and we express our love to him. Why? Because he has already earned it. Because he has done more than we could ever ask or imagine. Because he is willing and able to give us all that we need and to supply all of our needs according to his glory, in his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He is able and faithful to his word. That's why we can take and receive communion and celebrate. Yes, celebrate. Yes, we remember, but we celebrate that it's a living God that we serve. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, perhaps you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I can express worship to the Lord because, well, 
to be honest, I don't, I don't really have a relationship with him to begin with. I don't have a relationship, a life-giving relationship with him. If that's you, would you slip up a hand? Today, you want to get to know the Lord? Today, you want to come to know him maybe for the very first time? Anybody at all? Okay. Here's the thing, the second part of this, and where for most of us, the rubber will meet the road. Perhaps you'd say, I need the Lord's help to fall back in love with him. I don't, I don't really express my love to him anymore, but I sure want to. I don't want to miss my day of visitation. And today I need a, a fresh, fresh moment with God where, again, that love is rekindled. See, I believe that God will and wants to help you again fall deeply in love with him. So if that's you, your love for the Lord has just kind of grown cold. And today you'd like for the Lord to rekindle that. Would you slip up a hand? where the rubber meets the road. As we worship the Lord, we have to express that to Him. We've got to let Him know that we love Him. We've got to let Him know that it's a part of it. So I want to pray for those of you who raised your hand and for everyone else. I'd like for you to just ask the Lord here to, to invade your heart for the next few moments and ask the Lord to rekindle that love for Him with you. Father in heaven, I bless you today. And I thank you, Jesus, that you never leave us Lord, as it says in Revelation 3.20, that behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will open the door to me, I will come in and I will dine with him as a friend does. Lord, I pray that we would move beyond just having answered the door, but we would move on into the, the dining room so that we can have relationship with you. Father, I pray, rekindle in each and every one of us the love that you have for us. God, don't let our love grow cold. Don't let us sit complacently and idly by, but Lord, allow us and help us to enter into a life-giving, overflowing relationship with you. God, help us to fall in love with you all over again. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray.